here in this space and time, we're going to uh, center ourselves uh, on uh, our anchor verse for this season of Advent and then uh, our anchor for this morning's sermon. Uh, today, we're going to focus our attention first on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and then we'll turn together uh, to Psalm 18. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you'll turn with me there. If not, the words will be on the screen as we uh, together hear the very word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And now we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 18. The 18th Psalm, beginning in verse 6 and continuing on through verse 19. Again, hear the word of the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the, mountain so- of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, a dark rain, the dark rain clouds of the sky. And out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstorms and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed. The foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me. From my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, thank you. Thank you for each one of your sons and daughters gathered gathered here this morning. Thank you for the season of Advent. Thank you for the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit present in and among us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way this morning. Father, I pray that your spirit would open up the scriptures to us, would speak your very words to our heart. Father, bind my tongue and my lips that I might not utter 
one false word. May it be only the truth that is spoken here this morning. We love you because you loved us first. We're so grateful for you initiating love with us. So now we can say we love you too, Father. Amen. Merry Christmas. It's the first, second Sunday of Advent. I can hardly believe it. Uh, If you look outside, you'll notice that it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Just kidding. We're not going to do that this morning. But it is beginning to look like Christmas. You see lights on the houses, decorations in the yard. It's beautiful. I love Christmas season. We call the Christmas season in church language Advent. Who can tell me what Advent means? Preparation. Ten points for House Humphreys. Um, Preparation. Advent is a time when we prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Um, Good morning. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Zach Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and I'm so excited to be here with you all. You all look great this morning. Last week, Pastor Jason introduced our Advent sermon series, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus. In the, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, there is this prophetic word about the Messiah that was to come and save the people of Israel, but little did they know he would save the whole world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and this prophecy was uttered and written down around 700 years before Jesus was actually born. 700 years before Jesus was born. That's a long time to build up anticipation and excitement about the gift of the Messiah. I mean, it's hard to wait like one night from Christmas Eve to Christmas morning. Any kids want to testify? It's hard to wait one night from Christmas Eve to 7 a.m. Christmas morning, which was the time we could get up. 700 years is a long time to build up anticipation for the Messiah. The one who would be the gift of from God who would satisfy the desire of every longing heart. Isaiah described the Messiah that would come uh, at the word of the Holy Spirit, inspiring his own lips, his very tongue, as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And this description of the Messiah was meant to build anticipation and to inspire preparation as the the Israelites waited for the Christ that would come. And so in our Advent series, like the people of Israel, we are going to walk through these four descriptions of the Messiah in order to build our anticipation and to inspire us to prepare to celebrate our coming King. What is it that makes someone excited to receive a gift? We've all been excited about receiving a gift, the the waiting for it, the building up of the excitement, and the, the excitement when you finally open it and see what it is. But what is it exactly that makes you excited about receiving a gift? I remember it's almost two years now since my wife Kelsey gave me the news that we we're going to have a baby, our firstborn. 
Uh, I waited nine excruciating months. Uh, well, actually, I guess eight from the time that she told me. Uh, and he came three weeks early, so really only seven months of waiting, but they were excruciatingly long because I was so excited to welcome my baby boy. Uh, I remember in those seven months, we were doing all the things to get ready, right? The, this preparation, we were, we were painting the room, and I wish I could say we were building the crib, but I actually wasn't that ahead of schedule or built the crib after he was born. But we were, we were buying the changing table and getting the clothes and the little hats and the, the booties for the feet and those little mittens to cover up those razor-sharp claws we know as <laughs> baby fingernails. Um, man. That season built up so much excitement in me that I could hardly wait. And you know what it was? All the work of preparation and all the time I spent thinking about my child and what they would be like. Would it be a boy or a girl? What would their personality be like? All that time preparing and thinking gave me a deep, deep desire for the gift of my son. And that's the first thing that makes someone excited about receiving a gift. It's desire. The more you desire a gift, the more excitement you will have over that gift. I also remember along the way, a little bit past the midpoint of the pregnancy, uh, our friends threw us a baby shower. And uh, they were all told, if you're going to bring a gift to this baby shower... Um, bring diapers. Now, speaking of being excited about getting a gift, um, diapers was the gift. So I remember we walked into the room and we saw all this mountainous pile of diapers in the room. And believe me when I tell you, I was excited about this gift, right? Um, but I was not as excited about this gift as my wife Kelsey was. And here's why. Kelsey was much more in tune with the fact that um, when you have a baby, you need tons and tons of diapers. And what she was really more in touch with, with than me is that um, diapers cost tons and tons of dollars, right? Um, and so we needed our community to come around us and meet our need of providing diapers for our baby, right? And, and we actually didn't have to buy diapers for like at least a year, the first year of his life. Our community came around us and blessed us in such a way and met that need. And the reason why Kelsey was so excited and why I was excited but not quite as excited as she is because she had a deep awareness of just how much we needed that gift. And that's the second thing that builds excitement. The first is desire. The second is an awareness of your need. Uh, there's an American uh, pastor and author uh, who lived in the early 20th century, died in the 60s. His name's A.W. Tozer. You've probably heard of him. And he is famous for writing this quote. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let me ask you the question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? And I'm not talking about some, you know, well-constructed, super spiritual, um, theological thought that's going to impress Pastor Jason. I'm saying, like, when, when you think about God, what's just the first thing from the core of who you are that comes to your mind? I'm going to give you a second to think about it. I'm not going to ask anyone to share, but just give you a moment to think. What's the first thing that comes into your mind when you think about God? Whatever you thought of in those moments, does that thing or those things excite you? Or perhaps you're a little disappointed at what came to your mind. Both are probably represented in this room. Uh, One of the things I find so beautiful about Psalm 18 is that it gives us a a piercing graphic picture of what David thought of, what came into David's mind when he thought about God. Uh, We're going to read the psalm again, but uh, first a little bit of backdrop. In, In my Bible, right underneath the words Psalm and the number 18, There's a little note that says, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So David wrote this psalm after the Lord had delivered him Uh, from the hand of his enemies and the hand of Saul. So David was anointed king as a shepherd boy, but it wasn't for the right now. It was for the later. He had to wait for the the receiving of this gift as well. Um, But the current king, Saul of Israel, kind of got wind that um, David was growing in the affections of the people. And he got very jealous. And though they had at one time been very close, Saul set out on a mission to kill David. And he chased him. He made him a refugee. uh, And David's life was in great danger, or so it seemed. And after being delivered from the hand of Saul, David wrote this. Verse 6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And here we see in these next verses, David's incredible imagination. It's not really cool anymore to use your imagination, but I want to bring that back. Let's use our imagination. If you want to just close your eyes and receive this and just try to picture this this. Uh, this description that David, this mural that David is painting of how he views God. The earth trembled and quaked. When the Lord heard David's cry for help, the earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. (laughs) You won't like him when he's angry. Hulk, anyone? All right. Uh, smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. Can you picture this? 
He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. I just picture this this God, this cosmic superpower with smoke pouring from his nostrils and fire coming out of his mouth, parting the skies like a cosmic curtain and stepping through. Who's messing with my boy, David? He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. And he shot arrows and scattered the enemy. But these are not just any arrows. Not the puny wooden arrows of mankind. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath, from your nostrils. I love that. David sees God as an angry mama bear coming to protect her cub. At the blast of breath from your nostrils, the very waters of the ocean are pushed aside. You just picture this cosmic divine power just breathing and heaving with raw might such that the blast of breath moves aside the, dip, the deepest depths of the ocean. This is the mighty God of Isaiah chapter 9. This is the mighty Messiah who would come to save us. And now I ask you, does the news of receiving this mighty God, Merry Christmas, by the way, a mighty God, Does that excite you? Or is it kind of like, eh? Does it evince any sort of emotional reaction? A mighty God for you. Your Christmas gift. I think there are several buckets of response to this news represented in the room. The first is a deep, deep excitement. I'm getting a mighty God for Christmas. I'm so excited. And, and this first group of people, the reason why you're so excited about this gift is because maybe you feel a bit like David right now, like David did before writing Psalm 18. Maybe you have a big trial in your life, a great source of pain, a, a demon that's haunting you from your past, an incredible grief, what feels like an army of enemies surrounding you, or it just feels like the devil's out to get you. And when the Word of God and His Spirit makes it real in your heart, tells you that you have received a mighty God. Your body just rejoices in excitement. I can't wait. 
There's another group of you that are excited about this news, but it's not because you're currently in the midst of such a great trial and a pain. It's because you have been there before. Right? You have been there before. You have walked through that sort of circumstance and you have tasted and seen the goodness of the mighty God, Messiah Jesus Christ, saving you from your enemies. And you're like, man, guys, you're going to love this. Trust me, you're going to love this. And it makes you excited. But then there are some of us in the room that doesn't really evoke any sort of emotional response. No excitement is welling up within you. And some of you, that's because you are just in a season of peace in your life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God has given you a season of peace. You know, you, you don't really have anyone that you can think of that's an enemy. You're, you're doing well at your job. You know, finances aren't an issue. Your kids still like you. Uh, things are going well. You have a good community of friends around you. And so it doesn't just, this news about a mighty God doesn't make you kind of just viscerally respond with excitement. And that's not a bad thing, right? That, that peace is a gift from the Lord, and you should celebrate that. And there's one more bucket of people in the room, and, and they too are not very excited about this news of the mighty God. But it's not because they're in a season of peace given by the Lord. Now, th this group of people are not excited because, um, well, frankly, you're just out of touch with your need for a Savior. Unaware of the problems around you or unaware of your inability to conquer these problems, defeat these enemies on your own, in your own power and your own strength. You're just unable to get excited about being saved because you're like, I got this. I got this. And I, I don't think any of us think like that's the place we should be. Um, but it's really hard in this community. I want to acknowledge it's really hard in this community. I, I love the Woodlands and Tomball. It's a beautiful community. I love all of you so much. Um, and the thing about the Woodlands, we, our, our problems, we don't really have like homeless people on the street corners. We don't have hungry people asking for food or money um, very much. Uh, they're, they're around, but it's not like in your face like it is maybe down in Houston um, or on the highways. It's a very affluent community, a community of wealth. And uh, part of the deal about the woodlands, from my experience, and I'm talking about me too here, is that the whole shtick is like become a competent person who can solve problems and be successful in life. Anybody want to just be successful and be competent at solving problems. It's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes life really catches up with you and you have real problems, real pain, and, and it sits in tension with this desire to be a successful, competent 
person who can solve their problems and be independent and not need any help from anyone. It comes into tension with that. And so one of the desires, the temptations when we come to that place is we have this temptation to say, okay, I have to be the one to fix this. And if we come up to a problem and we fix it, great, and we move on, or we come up to a problem and we can't fix it, then the next temptation is, well, I'm just going to act like it's not really there. I'm going to put on this front on the outside. Inside, I'm dying, but on the outside, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm competent. I don't have any problems. I don't struggle with an alcohol addiction, a pornography addiction. I don't struggle with depression or anger issues. I'm all good. I can solve my problems. I don't need any help. And when we're in that place, we cannot get excited about a mighty God. Problems and pain and things that, that we can't fix on our own lead us to, it, it really potentiates our ability to be excited about a mighty God, to desire a mighty God, because we're in touch with our need for a mighty God. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should seek out trouble and seek out problems just so that we can get excited about a mighty God. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I am suggesting is perhaps just a, a shift of aim, a reframing. What I'm suggesting is that when we encounter problems that we can't solve, or any problems at all, frankly, suggesting that maybe we don't run away from them or act like they don't exist. Maybe we embrace the gift of the mighty God, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah sent to save us and just lean into the fact that our problems potentiate our ability to celebrate the gift of the Messiah. David understood this very well. I'm going to pick up in verse 16 of Psalm 18. He says that God reached down from on high and took hold of me. Here's the first awareness David has. He drew me out of deep waters. These waters are deep. I can't stand. I can't swim forever. I need a Savior. I need a mighty God to pull me out of deep waters. Verse 17, he rescued me from my powerful enemy. Man, my enemies are, are strong, they're fierce, they're real, they're powerful. But even deeper, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. This is a beautiful confession from David. He rescued me from my foes who were too strong for me. He pulled me out of deep waters. He saved me on the day of my disaster. David really understood his need for a mighty God. So when he got one, he was so excited. But for all the buckets in the room, whatever your response to this news about 
what your Christmas gift is going to be. Uh, There's good news. It, It applies to every single one of you. Every single one of you. The good news is that what comes to your mind when you think about God is not the most important thing about you. You're like, wait, Pastor Zach, I just wrote that down a minute ago. That The point of the sermon is that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer, got it. It was a bait and switch. Gotcha. What comes to your mind when you think about God is not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is what comes to God's mind when he thinks about you. C.S. Lewis, theologian and author uh, from the same time period as A.W. Tozer, um, he was asked about this very question. C.S. Lewis, is, is the most important thing about us what comes to our mind when we think about God? And his answer was this. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. It is written in Scripture that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, the promise that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. Wow, I love that. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God. Not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son. It seems impossible a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. David understood this too. Verse 16, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place, and here it is. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David understood that when he came across the mind of God, What God thought about him was, man, I love that boy. Oh, I delight in him. He brings me so much joy. Somebody's messing with him. I'm going to go and save my boy. When you come across God's mind, what fills his imagination is love and desire, and delight, and joy. You are his treasure. 
And the Father and the Son and the Spirit were delighted to give you the gift of a mighty God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, given as a gift for you and for me this Christmas. So let us use this time to prepare our hearts and grow in excitement for the gift that we are to receive. Let's pray. Father, almighty, God, powerful, wonderful, strong, immense, unconquerable, incalculable. Thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, the mighty God, the Messiah. Help us, Father. Help us in these weeks leading up to Christmas to think deeply and longly upon the gift that is Jesus. Help us to be in touch, open and honest about our need for a mighty God. for a Savior, and fill us with excitement, with the true Christmas spirit. Fill us up to overflowing so that we can share with all those around us the wonderful news. You have a problem. There is a mighty God who's been sent for you. You are hurting. There is a mighty God who's been sent for you because he loves you. Make this more real for us even today. We thank you and we ask in that powerful name of Jesus.